Good morning. I'm going to tell you, I got a little uh, tickled down here as I was watching our children go back to Kids Corner. Um, I watched as, with eager excitement my little friend Neil uh, went in a dead sprint to the back room. And I'm not sure if he was just excited to get back there or excited to get away from the preaching. Uh, but either way, I love that he was a little man on a mission today, and I thought to myself, man, I wonder what it would be like if all of us started running into church when it started, uh, what that would be like, and then I thought better of it for a moment, because then I anticipated, well, if I encourage our people to do that, I wonder how many of them will be in a dead sprint to get out of here uh, once we get done, so they can get to lunch, so uh, let's just put that one to rest, but that was fun watching him run out, so Jonathan, good job training up your kid to sprint to where he needs to go. Move with purpose. That was awesome. Uh, anyway, we are back this morning in our study of 2 Timothy. Uh, this is our part of our series that we've called Letters from the Pastor, where we've walked through Titus already. We've looked at 1 Timothy. We're now uh, getting really towards the end of 2 Timothy now. Now, again, I want to remind you that we've been seeing Paul writing uh, from a prison cell, literally from a hole in the ground. And as we are going to see today, he's going to still continue to teach Timothy in the church at Ephesus about the faithfulness of God and about the need to continue to press on in the gospel. And so today, Paul is going to write and reveal the need to continue in gospel faithfulness. And so with his writing today, he's going to teach Timothy how to continue in gospel faithfulness by uh, giving us godly examples uh, to follow of gospel faithfulness. But at the same time, he's going to charge Timothy to continue both living and also proclaiming the very word of God. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we are going to begin reading in verse 10. And once you have found your place there in the Bible, and you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Now again, these are Paul's words written to Timothy, written to the church at Ephesus, written for us today in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, Paul writes, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worst, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day, and Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to, again, just to be here, to be able to focus in on your word. 
Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've already had to worship you through song, worship you through prayer, the reading of your scripture. And Father, we pray now that you would prepare our hearts and our minds as we worship you through the proclamation of your truth. God, we ask this morning that you would lay all distractions aside so that we could simply focus in on your word. God, we pray that in the next few moments together that you and you alone would be glorified above all else. So, Father, prepare our hearts for what it is that you have for us. Father, we pray that you would speak in a way that only you can. Lord, we love you. We want to thank you for loving us. Thank you for delighting in us. And God, today we pray that you would be glorified in this place. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, clearly in our text today, we can see that Paul has now changed gears in our passage by giving us a stark contrast between the false teachers that we've already read about in verses 1 through 9 last week to how he now writes to Timothy. Now, there is a key word in our passage that I think we all should underline and pay attention to or highlight in our Bibles, and it's found in verse 14, where Paul gives Timothy the imperative to continue. You see, it's at this point that Paul urges Timothy to continue to follow Jesus Christ by, to, by doing two very important things. The first being to remember and to follow the examples that have been given to you in verses 10 through 13. And the second being to focus or to continue to focus on the word of God according to verses 14 through 17. Now again, in verses 10 through 13, Timothy is reminded of Paul's example for godly living. You see, the example that Paul has given both in his own life and through his teachings is to be followed as Paul himself continues to follow Jesus Christ. Now in hearing these words, we should quickly be reminded of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. You see, for believers in Christ, for leaders and for teachers, we should be like Paul and be able to say from that passage, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You see, Paul teaches Timothy and he's teaching the church at Ephesus and also us today that leadership is not lordship. Leadership is not to be domineering. Leadership should set the example for the flock to follow. Leadership is about following Jesus Christ and then inviting others to come along with us in that journey. You see, Paul in his writing is going to reveal to Timothy how both his example and the call to focus on the word should encourage all of us to continue in gospel faithfulness. So let's look together again at these passages and look at how we today can continue in gospel faithfulness. First, we see in verses 10 through 13 that we continue in gospel faithfulness by following godly examples from the past. Now notice here that Paul opens in these verses by calling Timothy to follow the godly examples that have already been set before him. Now we've already heard of the faith of Paul's mother and also his grandmother, but notice that Paul simply doesn't just call Timothy to follow anyone. Rather, Paul now points to himself in verses 10 through 13 as the example to follow. And so Paul tells Timothy to look for these following items 
in Paul's work and in his ministry. First, in verse 10, he tells Timothy to look to Paul's very life for the example. You see, Timothy knew well of Paul's teaching and Paul's conduct and also Paul's aim in life. You see, Paul was very much unlike the false teachers that were already mentioned before. Paul lived his life entire in its entirety um, out in the open, being transparent and authentic with all who come in contact with him. Paul's purpose in life was to ultimately live for something greater than the pleasures that this world could offer. You see, Paul did not care about fame. Paul did not care about fortunes or monies. And Paul did not care about any other worldly pleasure. You see, for Paul, he had a single-minded passion that he wanted Timothy and also for the church at Ephesus to emulate in him. And Paul actually gives us these words in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, when he says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You see, Paul's great aim was to finish the ministry of testifying to the gospel or to the good news of Jesus Christ and to do it all for the glory of God. Paul then gives Timothy four other qualities with which Paul possessed, which I believe are at the very heart of the Christian life. He speaks of his faith and his patience, his love, and in our text, his steadfastness, or your translation may even say his endurance. You see, Timothy, in walking with Paul and following Paul and Paul's ministry, he knew of Paul's faithfulness and he knew of Paul's patience as he continued to share the gospel. Timothy witnessed firsthand Paul's love for the church and he also watched um, Paul's amazing endurance as Paul, this small and yet often sick man, continued to proclaim Jesus Christ in the midst of heavy persecution. And now from a prison cell, Paul urges Timothy to follow with these same characteristics. You see, it's at this point when we look upon the example that Paul has set before us in verse 10. We need to ask ourselves as we look upon our own lives and our own words, which of these characteristics do we now possess? Are we faithful? Are we patient? Do we speak and show love? Are we willing to endure? Which of these characteristics are now absent from our lives? You see, I personally believe that these four qualities should be the mark of every believer. But notice that Paul just doesn't finish about his own life there. You see, when we get to verse 11, Paul now encourages Timothy to look to Paul's own persecutions. You see, Timothy knew all too well of Paul's persecutions and sufferings. But notice in verse 11 how Paul specifically mentions 
three locations. He mentions that of Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. Now, I am confident that Timothy knew of other experiences and other persecutions that Paul faced. However, Paul drew particular attention to these three because it was in these three areas that we find that Paul being persecuted and they all surrounded Timothy's home region. Now, Timothy, because of his ministry with Paul, but also because of these particular locations, would have either heard or known directly of Paul's brutal beating by a mob and how it was Paul who was left for dead all for the sake of the gospel back in Acts chapter 14. But then coming back to our text, notice what Paul then says. He says, which persecution I endure. Now, apparently, for whatever reason, these particular locations, these sufferings had a profound impact on Timothy. So Timothy is called to remember these moments. But then notice what Paul does. He then shifts his focus and he reminds Timothy, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Notice what Paul is doing here. Notice Paul, even in the midst of persecution, is not celebrating himself. Notice that Paul is not setting himself apart for the fame in which he has endured and suffered. In fact, Paul in this moment is almost giving us an exact quote from Psalm 34, 19, where we see David celebrating deliverance from his enemies. You see, Paul is now reminding Timothy that God is the one who delivers his people and it is God who has delivered his people throughout the ages. You see, the reality for us today is this. God does not promise anyone an easy life. In fact, as Christians, God has not promised us that in our salvation in Christ alone, now all of a sudden everything is going to get easier simply because we follow him. However, notice that God does promise to always be with his people. You see, Paul, by his very own writings, by his very own words, acknowledges that whether in this life or in glory, God will always rescue his people. Now, pay attention to the fact that Paul is saying these words while in prison awaiting the ultimate rescue. Now, imagine for a moment as believers in Christ if we approached life this way. Imagine how different life would be for us if we approached our very own hardships with the same hope that one day God will rescue us. Imagine how much more at peace we would be knowing that in the midst of a pandemic, it will be God who delivers his people, whether it is God that provides physical healing upon this earth or whether it is God that gives us the ultimate healing in being reunited with him in eternity, one way or another, in our hardships, in our broken homes, in our uh, medical situations, that all of a sudden we're dealing with a diagnosis that we never expected. At the end of it all, God is still with us, and it will be God who will rescue us. You see, that is where our hope lies as a believer. You see, Paul in this passage is 
calling Timothy to endure by the strength that God has given and then to trust now in God's faithfulness to his people. So notice that Paul is not just giving Timothy an example to follow, rather he is pointing Timothy to the very source of our power, which is found in Christ alone. But Paul's not done there. You see, we move from verse uh, 11 in the verses 12 through 13, and now Paul calls Timothy to look to what Paul could probably call his own golden rule. You see, Paul here reminds Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see, Paul is teaching us here that when we live out the gospel in our lives, we are going to pass through many trials. We are going to deal with many troubles and many frustrations and hardships and, and circumstances that we didn't foresee. But notice what Paul is teaching us today. He's saying that even in the midst of living out a godly life in Christ Jesus, knowing that persecution will come, this for believers should not concern us today. In fact, we should know that trials and hardships and persecutions um, for being a believer, we should know that these things are going to happen to all believers. In fact, you have to look no further than the life of Jesus Christ and to remember his words on Christian suffering when he said in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 20, he says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, John's going to go on and affirm these words when we read in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, and he says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. You see, I know many of you are probably like I am today. You're a sports fan, and you're looking forward to tonight's game. You're looking forward to uh, just this game tonight. And so I want to I encourage you to remember for a moment, just as football players... And I'm going to use the example of soldiers here as well. Just as football players are not surprised by injuries, just as soldiers who find themselves in the midst of war are not surprised when they are being shot at by the enemy, so too should Christians not be surprised when we experience some degree of persecution. You see, the truth is we will encounter people who will be drawn to Christ by the will of God because they see the love from Christians that is found in knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. Yet at the same time, there will be others who will see the example being set forth by Christians and they will be enraged by this love that they see and they will be angered by the message of the gospel. In fact, I would argue today, I would argue today that we should actually be surprised as Christians if we don't face opposition. I'll take it a step further. Chances are we may not even be living out our calling if we have not faced some sort of opposition. Now again, don't mishear me on this. I'm not telling us all today to leave through these doors and to walk out of this place and start looking for opposition. I'm not asking you to go down to the stadium today and look to pick a fight simply because you're a Christian. Rather, we need to understand that opposition and persecution are inevitable for all who live according to the word of God. 
Some of us may experience opposition physically. Some of us may deal with this opposition emotionally. In fact, in our country today, more and more Christians are now being ignored, mocked, or rejected because of their faith. And the reality is, this should not surprise us. Now this, again, this persecution and these trials, this this doesn't mean that the world is spinning out of control. Don't think that either for a second. Is it different than it was before? Sure, I'll give you that. But hear Paul's words again. Persecution is to be expected. We knew this would happen. In fact, we know it's going to happen since we are living in the last days. In fact, Paul warns us of this when you get to verse 13, when he says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, we should know that persecution is coming. And so knowing that persecution is coming, Paul now encourages Timothy to continue following his example as Paul himself continues to follow that of Jesus Christ. So we need to stop and take some inventory of our own lives. Do we realize today that persecution is coming? Do we realize that the hardships that Christians are experiencing right now in our country, do you realize that we're just scratching the surface of what's coming? If you don't believe me on that, can I encourage you at some point when this world opens back up again, because it's eventually going to happen, go on a mission trip, go to another country and see what it is that they are experiencing as believers. But then here's the reality. Knowing that persecution is coming, knowing that hardships are here and more persecution can be expected, as believers in Christ today, will we be ready to handle that persecution when it comes? Will we be able to point ourselves and ultimately point others to Jesus Christ when we find ourselves facing heavy persecution? What example are we setting for others to follow? Paul at this point now transitions us from talking about following his example to now following the calling that he gives to Timothy to continue in the word. You see, you get into verses 14 through 17, and Paul calls Timothy to continue in gospel faithfulness by focusing on the very word of God. You see, Paul knew at this point that his life was about to end. And so he calls Timothy to continue in what you have learned, according to verse 14. In other words, he charges Timothy to keep learning and to continue living in accordance with the word of God. You see, this is the reason why we at Southside Baptist Church believe that we are called to be together as one. This is why we use the phrase that we are called to love others boldly. But before we say that, we say that we are called to then teach the word faithfully. You see, as we see in Paul's example and the words that he gives to Timothy in the church today, we too should be called and realize the calling to teach and lead and live the word of God faithfully. You see, leading and living and teaching the word should be a priority for all of us. 
In fact, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you as you read through the Constitution and the bylaws, you're gonna notice that as a church, we get really definitive in what it is that we now believe. And that's why you are seeing the changes that are being made. Because we want people to know as a church that stands upon the word of God, this is what we believe and we will never compromise. Read the document for yourself. You see, the reality that Timothy and Paul are getting to is is this. As believers in Christ, we can never study the Bible too much. Many would argue that many of us here today are are Bible thumpers, that we spend too much time reading. Many people who've ever quoted scripture probably have had other Christians say to you, well, I'm just not a heavy Christian like you are. I just don't, I don't read the Bible like you do. And my question to this is why not? Why are we not spending too much time in the Bible? In fact, I would argue there's no such thing as ever studying the Bible too much. In fact, I remember being in seminary, sitting amongst professors who I would consider devout Bible scholars, men who had spent their entire lives in ministry and work 20 to 30 to 40 years studying specific books of the Bible. One professor in particular who spent 30 years of his ministry studying the book of Revelation, and he came to the conclusion that he and the others like him still have more to learn and therefore they will continue in their study until their dying breath. Now if that is true for these professors who are training up our next generation of pastors, then we as believers today should realize that we too need to continue in our study of the word of God. And so as we come back to our text here, Paul Paul wants Timothy, he desires for Timothy to continue in what it is that according to his own words that Timothy has firmly believed. You see, Timothy by this point has become convinced of God's word. He's become convinced of the power that is found within God's word. And so Paul now urges Timothy to continue to trust in that power that is found in God's word. Now notice this about Paul. Notice that Paul does not call Timothy to be trendy. Notice that Paul did not call Timothy to pick up the Bible and some other resource. You see, Paul knew the scriptures were sacred. Paul knew that the scriptures were timeless. And so like Timothy's call, we too need to realize and hold firmly to the very word of God, recognizing the scriptures as sacred, recognizing the scriptures as timeless. And therefore, we as believers in Christ need to be willing to pass on this word to the next generation. Paul then goes from there into verse 15 and he references Timothy's childhood and how Timothy has been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now again, Timothy has been trained well. He has learned from his mother. He has learned from his grandmother. He has been discipled. He is still being discipled and mentored by Paul at this point. But pay attention to Paul's phrasing of the sacred writings. You see, these particular writings that Paul is referring to is actually the Old Testament. Now, this is important because many people today do not see the relevance of the Old Testament. In fact, I listened to um, a pastor preach uh, this past week um, over his podcast, and he was trying to convince his church of why we should just completely discard the Old Testament and never preach from it. 
Well, I would argue at this point, if you look at the ministry and the message of Paul, you look at the ministry and how the gospel impacted the life of Timothy, you'll clearly see that Timothy learned how it was the Old Testament that pointed us to Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul used the Old Testament to preach and teach the very good news of Jesus. We see this in Acts chapter 17. You see it again in Acts chapter 18 and one more time in Acts chapter 26. You see, the gospel that Timothy heard would have been the biblical gospel from both the accounts and the writings of the Old Testament prophets and what it was that he was hearing from the apostles or the stories of the apostles who walked directly with Jesus Christ. So what is the point that Paul is trying to make? The point for Paul is very simple. We as believers need to continue in knowing all of the scriptures and not just one section over the other. We need to spend an equal amount of time from Genesis to Revelation, from the Old Testament all the way through to the Old Te- or to the New Testament. Paul then goes on to say these sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul was acknowledging that the word of God, this Bible that we now have in front of us as a whole is a book that will lead to salvation. The scriptures themselves, both the Old Testament and the New Testament will ultimately point people to the good news that is found in salvation in Christ Jesus alone. This is why Paul, in speaking to the church at Galatia, in Galatians chapter three, Paul reaches back to Abraham to show the people the pattern of how we are saved. He shows them that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this was all from preaching the Old Testament. You see, the Bible itself narrates the flow of redemptive history that ultimately moves to the person and to the work of Christ Jesus. So as teachers of the word, let this passage serve as a warning to us because we should never use the Bible to simply teach moral lessons. You see, if we do, then we are missing both the purpose and the content of the Bible. Let me give you an easy example of what I'm talking about. The story of David and Goliath is not our story. We are not David. Our hardships are not Goliath. That story is about God's provision and God's sufficiency and how God will be glorified through the story of a young boy who is able to fling a rock. That was done by God. That's his story and not our own. You see, when we read the Bible, if you read the Bible through, and I would encourage you to do that. If you've never read the Bible in its entirety, then could you do yourself a favor? There's a ton of resources out there. There are incredible Bible reading plans. The McShane Bible reading plan is one that comes to mind. Uh, There's several through the ESV Bible app. I know um, YouVersion has several read through the Bible in a year. I would encourage you 
to read through the Bible because you should quickly begin to pick up that this book is a book about Christ Jesus our Lord. The Old Testament anticipates the coming of Christ. The New Testament then explains the work and the ministry of Christ. When you look at the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, we see that Jesus was there in the beginning. He is promised and prophesied about in his coming in the beginning. We see him and his ministry alive on this earth in the middle of the book. And then in the end, we read that Jesus is the one who wins. You see, many Christians today know the stories of the Bible and we can quote the stories of the Bible, but we have to ask ourselves this question. How well do we know the Bible's Christ-centered storyline? Now, again, for many of you who are well-versed today, I want to say this to you. Now, this, this does not mean we ignore the historical setting of the Old Testament. We don't do that. Rather, we should honor the historical context and make legitimate the Christ-centered connections that we see throughout the Bible. In other words, Jesus Christ is the hero of the Bible. Now, I love Bruce Ware's words on this point. He says this, For although the Spirit is primarily responsible for producing the Bible as the inspired word of God, the Bible is not primarily about the Spirit, but rather it is about the Son. My prayer is as believers today, we would never lose sight of the word of God, that we would never lose sight of the central theme of the word of God, which is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul then moves into verse 16. It's here that Paul now highlights the divine inspiration of scriptures. He says in this verse that all scripture is breathed out by God. You see, the Spirit worked through biblical writers to pen God's word entirely and exactly as God had intended. So just as God spoke the universe into existence, so too did he breathe his word in scriptures. Now, what's interesting is by saying all scripture, Paul tells us that we cannot pick and choose which parts of the Bible we like and which parts of the Bible we don't like. We can't pick and choose the commands we wish to obey and the commands with which we wish to discard. We cannot pick and choose which doctrines we will believe and which doctrines we should sweep under the rug. All of the Bible is from God, breathed out by God, giving, given to us from the Spirit of God, and therefore all of the Word of God is good and true, and it is binding. Now, it's at this point our world would ask us, well, then what is the very nature of the Scriptures? You see, some people would argue at this point that the Bible itself is simply a, a good book, like many other religious texts. There are skeptics who live among us that say that only 20% of the Bible is historically accurate and therefore should be treated as such. 
agnostics today take it one step further and they say that we cannot know if the Bible is actually God's word. And so what can we learn from each of these people? We can learn that every age, the nature of scripture is being questioned. And so like Timothy learning from Paul, we need to continue learning and believing in the God-breathed nature of the Bible and therefore build our lives on the very word of God. And so when we ask, or when we are asked the question, well, what is our life built upon? We can answer by saying our life is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and his righteousness. We find our foundation upon the very word of God and upon the truth that he has given to us. Now, Paul's going to continue moving through verse 16 and 17, and he's going to say to us that the word is profitable for teaching, it's profitable for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, Paul is now teaching us that the Bible, both in doctrine and conduct, should shape our beliefs and our lifestyles. You see, it's the Bible that gives us doctrinal truth. It's the Bible that rebukes ungodly behavior. It's the Bible that corrects us when we stray. And it's the Bible that trains us in righteous living. You see, God's word can and will meet our deepest needs. So the question we need to ask ourselves today is why are we not spending more time in the word? Why are we not looking to the word on how to respond to life? Our answers are not found in critical theories. Our answers are not found in nationalism. Our answers are found in the very word of God. Paul's gonna continue in verse 17 and say that the man of God, so that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. You see, Paul is now telling Timothy that the scripture itself is profitable for equipping us. Now, this is actually interesting here because when you look at the word equip itself, you actually see that it's being used in two forms by Paul. It's being used both as an adjective, but also as a participle. And so many commentaries and many scholars say to us that Paul is actually saying to Timothy that Timothy, because of the word of God, you are now super equipped. You have all the tools and the resources you need, plus some in order to get through this life. It's just as John Stott said when he said, scripture is the chief means which God employs to bring the man of God to maturity. You see, Paul wants Timothy to know of the power of knowing and abiding in the word of God. And at the same time, he teaches Timothy that the word itself, we should be reading the word. We should be studying and knowing the word because it is the word of God that makes us more than equipped for whatever it is that may come our way. In other words, the Bible grows us in righteousness as we continue to live by it and live in accordance with it. It's just as what we read in Psalm 119, verse 97, when it says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation 
all the day. You see, the Bible equips us to lead others to Christ. It enables us to teach sound doctrine. It gives us the words in order to counsel people who are hurting, and then it guides us as we grow, both individually and corporately as a church. In other words, according to Paul, speaking to Timothy, he tells us again, the Bible prepares us for every good work. You see, knowing the importance of the word, knowing this, this call and this charge that Paul has given to Timothy to continue in knowing the word, my prayer is that our prayers would be a reflection of what John Wesley prayed when he prayed at any price, give me the book of God. Let me be a man of one book. You see, in our text today, we have seen Paul's charge to follow his example. And we've also seen the call to continue in the word of God. You see, through the very word and through Paul's own life and example, we can see that as believers, we are called to continue learning. We are called to continue trusting, to continue believing in a Christ-centered, God-breathed, and all-sufficient power of the scriptures themselves. You see, our world and our churches today need godly examples. We need people who will be faithful to the book, faithful to the word of God. And so as believers, we are called upon to proclaim the gospel according to his word, knowing that in the end, it is Christ Jesus who is the hero. He alone is the one who triumphs. His story is found in the life of Paul. His story is found throughout the word of God. So let us too, like John Wesley says, let us be people of the book so that we too can continue in gospel faithfulness. Let's pray together.